All right, we are live. Today we have a special episode. It's going to be amazing. I am interviewing Ginny Townsend, a strategy and growth consultant turned to an accidental six-figure Airbnb host. And she has always loved helping businesses up-level their offer and profitability game. Now she combines her 15 years plus of it years, sorry, 15 years plus of business experience with her passion for helping families becoming financially independent. Ginny firmly believes in the power of win-win-win and elegant simplicity on the roadmap to financial freedom. She is also a successful Kickstarter alum, a startup advisor, and loves to hike and explore the great outdoors with her family. Ginny, welcome to the John Papaloni Show. Thanks, John. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. So, you got a lot going on there. And, and I, I saw <laughs> yes, the, it turns uh, out. <laughs> yeah, like the uh, six-figure Airbnb host. I'm going to be interested to know how that happened. Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, before we start, how did everything come about? How, how did all this begin? And what, like, growing up, was any of this your goals or did you sort of happen to fall into it all? Well, you know, that's a great question. I think looking back, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't know, I didn't have that word, that language, right? I would always, like I set up a home catering company. I had like a craft sale. Like I was always looking for ways to generate money, like kind of starting my own little side businesses. But it really was when I found real estate and real estate investment and how there's so many different models for making money and and actually being able to increase your monthly cash flow using different models over others that's when i really felt like everything that i had learned all of my own personal strengths really came together well that makes sense so like do you have real estate investments other than the home you live in so we, what we first started out with was the Airbnb in California, where I became the accidental six-figure host. So I guess if you don't mind, I'll just go ahead and share that story to answer please your please question. Please okay. So we were, it was our primary residence. We were um, in Northern California and then my husband's job took us to the Bay. So a couple hours away. So we knew we're like, oh, obviously he's not going to make that commute every day. You know, like that, that doesn't make sense, but we loved that house and didn't want to sell it. You know, we knew the mo moving to the Bay wouldn't be permanent. And then I had this thought, I'm like, what if we could rent this out furnished? So it was, there was no strategy, you know, we didn't do a ton of market research and things like that. I was like, you know, if we can avoid a storage fee, like moving all of our furniture out, you know, putting it into storage. If we can just cover our costs of the mortgage, that would be awesome. And then what came out of it was my eyes were completely open to the short-term rental market. We were profitable from day one. That that specific property was on Airbnb for a little over three years, and we had 11 vacant days. Oh, and wow. So, <laughs> I know. I know. And it was all initially on accident. Now, obviously... I started to learn and see what worked. Um, but then, you know, and then obviously at the beginning, I was undercharging. I was like, whatever, we just need to, you know, get it filled. But then I was able to, like, well, more than doubled our monthly rate. Um, yeah, well, over I gotta time. imagine. I gotta imagine, yes. like, like you said, you're undercharging. But I think a lot of us tend to do that at the beginning for anything because it's sort yes. of like you have this idea, you wanna get it out there. And you're also thinking of all the expenses and you're going, okay, it's got to go like right away. What would do mm -hmm. it? You know mm -hmm. what? You don't want to overdo it in case nothing happens. So you just do it. And then all of a sudden you're getting overly busy. You're going, what happened? Oh. How, how, this, yep. is too, this is too much. Like I didn't expect this. And then you start thinking, 
Is it just priced right? Or am I underpricing? And most times mm-hmm. it's underpricing, like you mm-hmm. just said. But continue, Definitely. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's not a problem. So while it was technically our primary residence at one point, we it became an investment property, you know? And then we sold everything on the West Coast and moved out to, we're on the East Coast now, we're in New York State, oh, wow. and have a, a couple of, of Airbnb properties out here. Oh, that's fantastic. Like, now... What made you choose? I mean, obviously, in the initial when you moved because of work or your husband moved work. Yes. Uh-huh. Obviously, initially, you weren't sure what was going on. So you didn't want to get into long term rentals just in case. Right. 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 We had no idea. Like, what if, we, you know, what if this is a six to 12 month kind of situation? We didn't want to necessarily have someone come in for a year, you know, or something like that, and then just not have a place to move back into. But then also, we would be having to store our furniture. A whole house worth of furniture. That's not cheap, you know? No, that's true too. Now, yeah. let me ask you, after you realized that there wasn't going back, what prevented you from doing the long term then? Like why uh, why did you continue with Airbnb? Like what are the advantages, disadvantages and stuff like that? Oh, because it was so lucrative. You know, like that was, we had the bottom line. And then also, again, if we had made it a long term rental, we would have had to pay for storage for our furniture. And what, you know, what I think is so interesting, our cash flow from that property, I did a lot of research on what we could have charged for it if it had been a long-term rental. So, you know, we took all of our furniture out, you know, um, or just leave it on the short-term rental market. We could make 25 times the cash flow per month um, comparing long-term to short-term rental. So wow. it just, it was the easy answer. Yeah. And we had yeah. great, we had great guests too. I mean, we had one that was not great, but other than that, 99 point whatever percent, phenomenal people coming through, phenomenal people. I think that's another advantage of uh, the short-term rentals. If you always get a bad renter, you're not stuck with them. Yes. Right? Yes. And a short-term rental isn't going to like paint your bathroom purple. You know what I mean? That's true. <laughs> like oftentimes they won't do laundry if they're there for a short term, you know, they'll hardly use your kitchen appliances. So from a wear and tear perspective, it is actually really good for your property. And then it's also getting professionally cleaned between tenants. So it it stayed in really great shape. Absolutely. See, that's a bonus. So it's not just the income, but it's the savings on the wear and tear and everything else that comes with it. Yes. Yes. That's phenomenal. Uh, Like Mm -hmm. how did this pandemic affect your business or has it? So what we have found is that in more urban kind of densely populated areas like cities, we're, we're not in New York city. We are in, we're about an hour, hour and a half outside of New York city. This area has seen a boom, just an absolute boom in everything, real estate from people wanting to move out of the city. So actual buying, but then long-term renting and then definitely short-term renting. Um, So inside of large cities, they've seen, you know, they've struggled on the whole, right? That's, I know that's a blanket statement. I know that people are still getting bookings in their, in their like downtown apartments and things like that, that are on Airbnb. But on the whole, it's right outside of large cities that are really seeing booms. So you can kind of, if you were to take a city, make it like draw a circle around it. And you can see those are the areas that are doing really well. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like in uh, Canada, in the greater Toronto area, Hmm. And mm-hmm. uh, real estate, I think real estate is booming worldwide from this pandemic, not just Toronto, really not just is. Canada or US. Yeah. Like, but where we have noticed, like 
initially, like we have, a, I guess everyone's having a housing housing shortage, you know, mm-hmm. now since this has happened. And um, obviously, pent up demand, short supply, we all know what happens there. Prices go. Prices go <laughs> up. Yep. Yep. Right? Exactly. So now, some of the things that our mayor has done to combat this in the beginning of the pandemic, and plus, you know, with the la- you know, didn't want the traveling back and forth going on, you know, keep people sure. uh, apart. They actually mm-hmm. banned Airbnb for the first little while. Mm. So, mm. and that, that caused a little bit of a spike in condominium sales. Sure. And, and what ended up happening is a lot of people panicked because now they don't have renters, they don't have long term, and mm. and then so many things have been uh, affected by it. So a lot of investors posted their condos for sale in panic. Mm. And what ended up happening is while people leaving the city to move further west or east had caused the demand going west and east to rise, the condo market in Toronto had actually taken a dip. Mm. And because they, like they were just flooded. Sure. Now, when I sure. say it's supply and demand, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, when I say a dip, I don't mean it went down twenty percent or anything. We're talking sure. about a three percent dip, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But three percent overnight—that's mm. kind of a bit of a shocker, right? So it, became, it became like like right now, our uh, average days on market is roughly around twenty-three days. Okay. Right, and our month, our our real estate supply is less than one month. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of really, <laughs> but it's tight, what yeah. with the condos and downtown, because of this, there was a flood of them. There was over 300 in a small pocket available. Wow. And obviously the turnaround time on that and the supply on that was a lot higher than the average. Right. So that caused other people to panic too. So they got the stay away from condos kind of scenario, mm-hmm. right? but it was a short term site. And you know, when people start saying, okay, I'm paying the bills on my own, I don't have renters and um, I can't get them. And then the long-term ones, if I get a long-term tenant and it's a bad tenant, I can't get them out because the tenant board is closed. They go, there's not right. all panicking and saying, I, how long can I sustain this? So mm. boom, I'm the market. It went now. Wow. Obviously, as time goes by, things have, are more established. Like everyone knows what this pandemic was, where I think in the beginning when we went into lockdown, nobody even knew what was going on. It just sort of, ah, people right. getting sick, keep them home. Yeah. Ah, right? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? so then, and they, they didn't know anything about it, right? So once they figured this out and they got some sort of system, things starting to open up again. Now, the trend still is people moving out of Toronto, right. but it's not as drastic as it was before. And there's still some people moving back now as they're realizing oh, their work from home plan was short lived. Like mm-hmm. some companies are staying that way, but some of them have announced that once this is over, you're coming back. Mm. So, you know what I mean? Like people are, yeah. quit, you know, I'm not, I'm working from home. I can continue. I'm going to go right now. I'm sure some people right. are going to quit their jobs and say, I'll just find something that I can work from here. But mm-hmm. hey, that's besides the point. So now the condos are actually making a bit of a comeback. The Airbnb is still kind of like, eh, because there's no travel here, right? The airports right. are international travel is locked, down, locked out. Mm. Um, mm. Most of the uh, traveling is really packages coming in and out from supplies. Wow. Wow. So it'll be interesting how that transpires. Once yes. immigration comes back in, school goes back to full time. Mm. I think that's going to put even more pressure on it. Right, right. Okay, so 
yeah. yeah so that's why I was asking you how it affected you because I wasn't sure if it was the same dynamics as us where everything was locked down and people were stuck and no in and out and you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was, I mean, New York City was definitely kind of ground zero for the United States for a bit. Um, so everything was really locked in. But what we discovered is people were taking staycations. They might not want to fly somewhere, but, you know, they could go rent a house out in the country for their family to, you know, work remotely, do school remotely, all of that, and still feel comfortable and safe. So there was there was a lot of if people could drive there, you know, and if it was a pretty secluded place, there was a really, really high demand for it. But then also something that I think is really powerful is to take a look at alternate users, like to take a term from tech, you know, we lived in the Bay for a number of years, right? But what are some alternate customer base sources for shifts in the economy, shifts in real estate, shifts in pandemics, right? And one customer that I discovered on accident, we didn't go looking for them at our first uh, Airbnb rental, was traveling nurses. Now, I don't know how it works in Canada, to be quite honest, but traveling nurses here in the United States, they have 13 week contracts with hospitals and they can move between hospitals. They can go to four hospitals a year, or if they want, they can extend at one hospital, but they effectively move states every 13 weeks. So they're looking for furnished rentals. And what, yeah, that is our backup plan for our Airbnbs is I wanted to make sure, well, first of all, I like to have multiple ways to mitigate risk. One is like, could it be a long-term rental? If worst case scenario, there just everything shuts down and needs to go to long-term. But then I also like a backup user base of traveling nurses because about 10 minutes from a really large hospital um, and they pay very well the their housing allowances because they they know they have to have furnished places to stay while they're there they're not going to pack their own furniture and things like that you know um they pay about i mean in california i want to say where we were it was one of our first tenants so i was definitely undercharging but i want to say she paid us i mean we got like $1600 a month in cash flow even That's with good. Yeah, yeah. So we were, you know, even though we were kind of undercharging at the time, right? Um, so excellent tenants, the like, traveling nurses, at least in the States, have been extremely active this year, going to hospitals to kind of, you know, reinforce the staff that are there full time. Um, and so, so yeah, that's what I love about the short term rental market, too, is there are there are kind of like some backup type demographics that can that can rent your place. And then also, by the way, I must say, um, traveling nurses are phenomenal guests. I mean, they're frankly, they're always at the hospital. <laughs> you know, they're not gonna like throw a party. You know what I mean? They're they're gonna take really good care of it. Like if you have blackout curtains in case they work the night shift, like they're happy and the hospital pays their bill. So um, they're completely ideal, I think, kind of like of a hybrid type of backup. Um, guest in situations absolutely. like this. Absolutely. That's guaranteed income. And that's yep. the thing we're, here. We don't really have traveling nurses per se, okay. but there is something similar. Like um, every hospital has their full-time staff. Mm. Um, and what I've learned is there's a lot of part-time staff that work on contract. And okay. what ends up happening is they don't have just the one hospital. 
like they're on contract with more than one. Okay. And uh, what ends up happening is so wherever they're placed is where they go. So it's similar, but they're yeah. still tied to to a, a, as like a nine to five job, but it's not nine to five. Right. Sure, so it's kind sure. of similar, but not quite. And, and it's still mm -hmm. within the same province. In your case, it would be a state. Right. Mm -hmm. So they don't travel from state to state. It's still within the same, but there's multiple hospitals in the area. Now, which this uh, reminded me. So during the pandemic, there was a lot of nurses that were taking short term rentals when they can. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't so much from location to hospital as much as the fact that, you know, they wanted to uh, keep their loved ones safe yeah. and distance from them just in case. Yeah. So they were. I just got chills. Yeah. Yeah. It was God one of those. Them, right? Exactly. Because Ugh. in the beginning, like I said, nobody knew what was going on. They didn't yeah. know how to treat it. Um, people get on a ventilator and they're rolling a the dice going, please survive, please survive. And there's nothing they could do. They don't know. Right. right? Like, I mean, even right. now it's still a bit of a, you know, a phenomenon, but mm -hmm. at least they have an idea of what they're facing. Yes. So at the beginning they thought yes. you're out there working. Why would you, you don't want to go home and take the chance of bringing it to your family. No, no. Yeah. So I finding those rentals became like very vital at that yeah. point. Yeah. So, yeah. It is, you bring up another great point of, People use short-term rentals for reasons that we may never think of, you know? So even in places that aren't traditionally tourist destinations, so let's say, you know, when things go back to a true normal, not just the new normal, but like a true new, new normal, <laughs> people will still come to different areas um, to visit family, right? There's this pent up desire to travel to visit family right now. I feel like all around the world, but there will always be reasons for people to travel and people to look for short-term rentals, even if it's not what we consider something like Miami, which is, you know, very traveled or Paris or something, you know, with Toronto, you know, downtown or anything like that. But there will always be people looking to stay in, in random areas, frankly, random areas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes yeah. things you don't expect that are happening. Yes, right? like, and it, it's pretty surprising. fun. It's pretty fun too. So there's a couple of different ways to approach short-term rental um, investments, by the way. One of them is you can be more hands-on or because the profit margins are such that you can easily just with one property afford a property manager. Whereas it might not with a long-term rental, it might not make sense with just one property, right? So you can be as in touch with your guests as you want. And what I found, because I was learning the ropes, I didn't want to necessarily, I didn't even think about outsourcing at the time when I was becoming that accidental six-figure host, is I really enjoyed hearing the stories of what brought people to town. And, you know, we met some really genuinely nice people that we've communicated with since then, by the way, like I got their, their, you know, information outside of Airbnb. Um, and yeah, you just, you never know who you'll meet. That's true. That's, that's, that's absolutely true. Right. I mean, like you said, people have different reasons to do it. Yeah. And when you learn the stories, sometimes you can pick up on that and you never know how you network with that. That is actually a very good point. Right, very, very right. And in a time where we're kind of feeling, generally speaking, um, isolation, it is really cool to have a, like a unique way or a unique reason to connect with people, even if it's not, you know, within six feet of each other. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, what I mean, this has been interesting. Like we went, everybody went in. And you're like sitting there, you meet someone, it's like you shake your hand, you give them a hug. And now you're like, now, now everybody's afraid mm -hmm. of each other. Right? Yeah. It's kind of like, hey. it, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like even yesterday, right? Like we uh, came out of lockdown for a bit 
And, um, and we're still at a lockdown. Uh, how long okay. is the story? Because already yeah. third wave, new lockdown. Mm-hmm. We'll see how long that happens. But I, I just had to go. I went on a patio yesterday and it was outdoors. It so was good. amazing. Oh my gosh. I my bill, but it was amazing other than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, sometimes you just need it, right? It's just like a mm-hmm. refresh. So, yep. I mean, yeah, it, it's very interesting. Now, let me ask you something. What are your plans from here? Like, you got, do you plan to get more? Yes, absolutely. And I am expanding my involvement in the Airbnb economy because it really did, they did create their own economy, right? There's so many different ways that people can make money, even if they don't have an actual investment property, which is really cool. And so, um, New York State is a little weird about how, about short term rentals. And so we don't anticipate buying new rentals here in the state. It'll be in the Northeast and actually out West, which I'm very familiar with the market, things like that. But I've also been approached to do property management. Um, As maybe like, just like, hey, you have the processes down, you know, you have like the great ratings and all of that. What would this look like? So it kind of took me by surprise, but I was like, okay, what could this look like? How, you know, and so, as we've been ironing out what that looks like, we've been building a, a property management company too, specifically for short-term rentals. Yeah, which brings up another point though. Sometimes when you find one opportunity, it can actually lead to other opportunities. Yes, yes. You never know. You never know the doors that'll open if you just move forward. Exactly. And that's why I always believe if you have a growth mindset, wherever your mind focuses, it will go. It will find yes. Like, yes. I mean, and you know what, with that growth mindset, opportunities come from opportunities. So now, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a story of what happened to me, right? I mean, I had a uh, listing out in uh, the Niagara Falls region, and um, it was one of those things that I was working on my favorite cafe where I live. And uh, I, I thought I got about 40 minutes. I want to show up early. I don't want to be late. So maybe I should go. So I was driving out, and uh, I mean, I live, you know, with an oceanfront view. And then I got mm-hmm. a big escarpment uh, viewing behind me. So I got kind of the best of both worlds. Right. Yeah. Right. So as I was driving out, I was looking, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about home. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, wow. I mean, I, I found this one by accident. Right. Like I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I was looking somewhere else for something totally different. And it was actually wow. the location and scenery that basically made me say, yeah, let's just do this. Because wow. it was actually not exactly the house I was looking for. It's a great house. It's beautiful. And it was brand new construction. But it was one wow. of those things I was looking for something a little different, right? And mm-hmm. I, I find it. I mean, it's a great home. Um, and, but the location was the thing that sold me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what ended up happening is I was thinking about it and saying how I ended up here. And I'm like thinking about it and saying, I picked a really great place. And I, the point is, I was thinking about home. All of a sudden, I mm-hmm. snapped out of it. I was in front of my house. I was supposed to be going the opposite direction. <laughs> so you just autopiloted right back to what you were that's, thinking about, right? Yeah, that's exactly. Mm-hmm. So wherever you focus, your your body and brain is going to take you there. Yes. Right. Yes. So, and, which is powerful and, and or scary, you know? Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So okay. So now you got property management happening. You're going to expand yes. more, which is yes. great. Um, yes. Let me ask you, what was the most challenging part of all this when all this happened? Like, what, what frightened you the most? The pandemic? No, I meant, uh, you know, when you got into the uh, business and, and you started. Oh, I mean, honestly, initially, I just wanted to make sure our bills were covered, you know? 
And then we did find out that the that the neighborhood that we were in and the town we were in had some restrictions on short-term rentals. And so I was like, oh no. In fact, and I did even call the city to just say like, hey, is this legal? But I just, I think it was a little too early. It was in 2016 when I got into Airbnb. It was just kind of a little early. People were, cities were starting to, to make regulations and setting rules. I just, I don't think they, they knew how to answer me. And so I was like, okay, well, I called, there are no regulations, whatever. Um, and then I found out that there was a 30 day minimum. Oh. And we were like, oh, oh no. Okay. We were getting like onesies, twosies, you know, back to back to back to back, no days in between. So like, okay, I, first of all, don't want to get in trouble with the city or with the neighborhood. Right. Like that's, that is unneed, unnecessary stress, right? So I was like, okay, well, let's see what happens. It was like the next iteration of like, well, if this is this is either going to continue to work or it's not. And so that was a little bit of a stressful moment. But in that time, I we increased our price too, because we were just booked out so, so rapidly. We had been increasing our prices. And so what happened was I had added an additional $1,000 a month and then when we put the 30 day minimum on, we were like, we were booked out six months out in something like three or four days. I was like, oh, wow. wow. So you never know, something that can be viewed as a barrier could also be a superpower because those people that needed to find a short-term rental that or a furnished rental at that point, right? what what there were very few options because people were saying oh you know there's a 30 day minimum i don't want to necessarily set up an airbnb so it really we we were we were the option in that area which um which ended up being like i said um a superpower absolutely see that's the other thing i find with opportunity like sometimes you find opportunity because there's so much resistance to it yes yes mm. Right mm -hmm. now, it's important mm -hmm. to be aware of it. Is there a resistance because it's truly a bad idea, or is there yes. resistance because it scares people? Mm -hmm. Right, yes. and that's one thing you got to see. Like sometimes, sometimes new is scary, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And then that's mm -hmm. that's another way of finding opportunity, yes. which is normal. Like I, I could see just from speaking to you, you're a very outside the box thinker. You're always like finding that path and solution. So you're more solution faced rather than mm. trouble faced. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely definitely yep that's so, where i find opportunities exactly exactly now let me ask you something when you mm -hmm. bought all these places how did you find them like did you use a realtor did you have something in mind was it a combination of both so in new york state where we found this we actually bought a large property it's a farm and there are a couple of cottages on the property. And so that was the workaround in the state is like, you couldn't necessarily just buy a house three doors down and rent it out full-time on Airbnb. You had to actually be on the property. So we had bought this farm with the intention of, you know, having the Airbnbs, but then also, um, eventually having a wedding venue because it is like, it's, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. But who knows what the, the wedding industry will look like for the next few years. But the thing is, as we were, well, as I was drawing up spreadsheets, you know, like 
thinking through and trying to predict what our revenue would be, the Airbnb side of that, you know, the, the big idea that we had was always the most consistent and was actually the highest. So even though, I mean, people can make a ton of money in a normal situation with a wedding venue, but even then the Airbnbs were still the most consistent revenue. And I love consistent revenue. You know, I love taking risk and removing it, right? As much risk as possible. And then, you know, investing in that scenario to make it even more profitable. So I guess to answer your question, we we worked with a realtor because this, I mean, we technically live on the property too. Um, so it was a primary residence, but but the the, the properties are, are, the rentals, I'm sorry, are further out on the property. That's so it's like a little bit of a unique situation. Yeah. I was going to say that's very innovative, right? In a yeah. way, you bypassed some uh, some restrictions. Yes. And, and found the opportunity that way. That's mm-hmm. kind of amazing. I mean, I'm yeah. not sure I would have even thought of that. I might have just yep. sort of looked at that and said, mm, restricted. What else can I do? Right. So, but right. That, that's, that's yeah. you know, that's incredible finding opportunity that nobody sees. Yeah. What's interesting too, so for any of your viewers and listeners considering doing something like that, those those other cottages don't have their own mortgage payment. Do you know what I mean? So pretty much yeah. everything they come that comes in other than utilities is profit. Right? Absolutely. And, <laughs> which is amazing. So those those two Airbnbs cover our living expenses. Which which is amazing. You know? And it's amazing. Yeah. Well, like now let me ask you something. Yeah. Like, obviously this is in a way there's some passive income here. Yes. Um, I'm sure there's a little work on your side too. Not completely passive, mm-hmm. but what would you consider as your full time? Hmm. So I do consider, I mean, whatever, you know, I, if you stop paying attention to something, I think that's the fallacy in, in passive investment or the idea of passive, like truly passive income. If you stop paying attention to it, it kind of just deteriorates, right? It does always need some attention. So the Airbnbs are my primary, um, but I have moved to wanting to tell more and more families. Like I want to help more and more families gain financial independence or reach whatever goal they want. So, I mean, like, so For instance, I mean, the next Airbnb that we buy, I'm calling it Claire's College Fund. We have a one-year-old daughter and yes, and over time, that thing is going to pay for her college, you know, in the appreciation of the property, but then also in the cash flow. So um, I, I just, there are so many different amazing and powerful things that we can do to to better our family, to better the legacy that we can leave. And I think short-term rentals are one of the most powerful ways to do that. So again, um, I feel like a lot of what I want to focus on is getting that message out and helping people to be able to, you know, how do you find, how do you furnish, how do you fill a short-term rental? You know, how do you make sure it's profitable? And so that's a large part of what I'm doing right now is helping, is helping families out. Absolutely love what you said there, right? If you don't pay attention to something, yeah. You know, so it just, uh, yeah. I was kind of leading you to that. And I was, I had a feeling that's the way you were going to answer it just based on everything okay. that worked mm-hmm. out perfectly. And oh, yeah, like, that's great. I mean, like I imagine that everything you do takes a lot of planning. I, I like, I, I, 
I wouldn't doubt, like, how, how do you schedule your week, basically? That's what I'm trying to get at here, right? Because I don't think you just off the top of the head, poof, there it goes. This is what I'm going to do. Right, right. Day, right. Yes. So I set aside two hours first thing in the morning. I always wondered, why did my mom wake up at five in the morning? And now I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I work, you know, a couple of hours in the mornings. Um, and I do recording my own podcasts and reaching out to other people and, you know, to just be able to like get this message out. Um, and so that's done in the mornings. And then obviously like more during business hours, working on the Airbnb and the property management side. Um, so, but I do just really block out two hours a day during the business day too. So, I mean, it's, it's very manageable to do on, on very realistically four hours a day. Makes total sense, right? So, uh, and that, yeah. that's the thing. Everything in life can be done if you yes. manage it properly. Yes. I, I, I don't think there's a, like, everybody has the same 24 hours in a day, yep. seven mm -hmm. days a week. Everyone has mm -hmm. the same thing. Uh, yes. and, and that's the thing, right? So I often hear people say, I don't have time, right? But yeah. a lot of times what you ask, what's, what's your schedule? And the answer is, oh, I do a little this, a little that. They're not planned, right? Right. And, that, right. and that's the thing. So, and I find the common story when people are, are getting, you know, building their business and growing and they're seeing the success, the common story is the planning portion. Yes. Yes. Right? And I just, I feel like the word that I keep saying when it comes to my time is brutal, like absolutely brutal. <laughs> um, I, I kind of wonder, I'm like, how, well, first of all, actually, I'll say this this way. I've become so much more of, I think, a better business person having become a mom because my mom, my time just totally slashed. And But the thing is, I feel like my output has increased because I've been brutal <laughs> with my time and what I demand of my time and, and what I say. I'm like, okay, in the next literal 15 minutes, I need to get X number of things done. And then it happens. And this is the other thing, right? And we can even relate this to when we were growing up. Best way to improve your negotiation is through a child. Mm. They don't understand the word no. They don't understand can't it. They don't understand any of it. And in fact, what happens? They usually sit there going, can I, 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 you want to choke yourself or just say yes and you don't want to hear it? That's the in the world. <laughs> so, in a that way, is so funny. It's a way to build up that uh, negotiation skill. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a built-in business school. Turns out, well, we're not quite there yet, but I can see it coming. She's she's a strong, independent little girl, so I can definitely see that awesome. coming. <laughs> awesome, yeah. Like, but I mean, even still, even when we grew up, I bet you any money that like we got what we wanted more often as a child than we right. did as an adult. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, Why did we stop asking for things? Right. Were we just like taught out of it? Yeah, we've learned to become uh, more timid and intimidated. Whereas a kid, you don't so know something is embarrassing, yeah. right? Mm. You just mm -hmm. you want it, you go for it. That's just yeah. it, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but I'd rather be told no a hundred times and get, or a thousand times and get the yes that one time that I'm looking for it. Right. And to right. be told yes for small things and then stuff that doesn't matter, I get the, you know what I mean? Stuff that matters, yeah. I get the no. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Or you don't even ask, you yeah. know? That's the thing, right? So it's good. Always that, so uh, good. <laughs> yep. Um, so, yeah, let, let me ask you something. I mean, obviously, as things build up, 
right? There's more pressure and more demand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have an assistant? You know what, what I was doing right before we hopped on is I'm scheduling interviews um, for, for bringing on an assistant. So, yeah, that's uh, definitely the next step. Definitely. Yeah. Cause I figured that's the other thing. Once your schedule is maximized, it's learning to, um, to sort of delegate. Yes. Right. Yes. So, and and that, mm -hmm. that's true expansion, true growth, right? Yes. It's, there's only yes. so much we can to, uh, do ourselves and yeah. real growth happens when we learn to delegate. Yes, exactly. And when we can stay focused on one area versus like all of the little itty bitty things, the little nitnits, you know, versus like making, you know, really big decisions or having really big conversations that you just don't have time to do because you're doing the smaller things. Yeah, so, yeah. that's true too. But mm -hmm. let me ask you, even when it comes, when it comes to decision-making, hmm. like, are you someone who has to wait, process it before you make a decision or just sort of the A or B and boom, B or A? Mm -hmm. I think it depends on the decision. So I love a good spreadsheet. So if it's something like a, from a business perspective, um, I really like to see like, what would the long-term play? How does this affect my time? What could the ROI be? And just be able to think through and be able to, I don't know if I can see it, I'm much more of a visual processor. So if I can see it worked out, I feel like the, uh, the choice becomes much more clear and objective. But if it's a decision, you know, like, where do you want takeout from tonight or something like that? I'm like, yeah, there's no spreadsheet involved, you know? Like I want Absolutely. sushi. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, sushi. <laughs> no, I know, right? <laughs> so, well, that's good. That's very good. Like I, I myself, I uh, almost rarely, rarely do I need to think about things or take time. Mm -hmm. I usually within two minutes. Like a gut? I know. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? That's choice. the thing. Your gut's always yeah. going, right? Yeah. Now, it's so true. It is yeah. so true. Mm -hmm. Obviously, due diligence is always important. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I find, you know, before doing due diligence, I kind of know whether I want to do the due diligence or not. Right, right. And I think that is something, too, that has maybe been, like, schooled out of us, like, along with asking, is, like, listening to your gut. Like, fine-tuning that ability to hear it. Yes. You know? Yes. It, yeah, it just somewhere kind of evaporated. Um, but I also see, and I really appreciate you making that point, is a lot of really top tier professionals, they they really pay attention with their gut. You know, they can obviously back it up with numbers, they back it up with whatever they need to do with like the due diligence, like you said. But it's but it starts with the gut. Yeah, it's true. And that's the other thing, right? I I really believe that you can't possibly know everything there is to know about everything. So true. So true. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's one of those mm -hmm. things, and, and that's the thing, and right? And that goes back to where you say when you're expanding. You A lot of times I find people want to hire, I just need another me. Mm. And the truth is, no, you don't. Mm -mm. You no. don't want another you. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. You do what you can't. <laughs> exactly. You want the opposite, you know? Yeah. yeah exactly. Like if you're big picture, you need a detailed person. You know, if like you're more, you're more ideas, you need like a an, an implementer, you know? Absolutely. Right. I mean, an idea is mm -hmm. as only good as you can uh, execute it. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. so, and that's the other thing, right? Like, and that's the thing. Also, I don't like to get in, you know, I don't like to invest in things I don't understand. Right. Right. And, I mean, like at the end of the day, mm -hmm. even if you get advice, the onus is always on you 
It's not yep. that person's fault if you lost money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I can't understand the concept. I'm usually not interested. That's really good. And I want to say that's one of well, Warren Buffett's tenants for investing. And it has apparently served him well. So. Yeah, I've done it in the past. And I, I'm not one of those ones that I'm so smart and educated that uh, that I was able to see this. No, it was one of those I got kicked in the teeth and said, never doing that again. Yeah, yeah. That's often right. the best way to learn something, the least fun. But but those are oftentimes the lessons you only need to learn once. Like sometimes if it's just like, oh, you know, like a little scrape or something, like you might have to repeat that lesson a couple of times, but getting kicked in the teeth is yeah, typically just a one time. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so going with this in terms of investment, we obviously mm. know investment uh, real estate is a big part of your portfolio. Yes. Do you outside of that or is real estate pretty much all your like 100% of your portfolio if so we if like stocks like are do we do stocks and bonds and things like that is that what you Absolutely. said is that what you mean okay yeah. yes actually um we did we were like ah it, so when everything crashed last march you know like about a year ago we kind of bought in to some industries that were like, all right, this was panic selling and yeah, things don't look good at all. Um, but my, my husband is a pilot and it was like, we know airlines will come back. And so we bought them at like an eighth of the price and ninth of the price of what, you know, they had been. And so we did, we did some investing, some initial investing back then. Um, and we've continued to watch, um, and thankfully, everything is, things recover, right? Things recover. Um, and then we have done some angel investing. Um, so with with companies. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. What brought that up? Like what made you decide to go that route? So it was relationships. Oftentimes, um, we, we knew someone. We knew two people who were going to be acquiring a company to expand their offering um, and wanted some capital behind that to for the acquisition, but then also for the marketing. Um, and so because we knew and trusted them and we definitely, um, we understood the product, you know, we understood, you know, the, yeah, it was, it's a wearable tech company actually. Um, we felt comfortable investing um, with, with them as well. Right. See, you brought up a good point right there. It's all about the trust, right? And real estate is like that as well. People want to deal with people they can trust. Yes. Right? Because it's a large purchase and so many things can go wrong. So many things. Right? And and that's the thing. So you want to deal with people you can trust because at least you know no matter what, you did everything right the way you were supposed to. Mm-hmm. And if the uh, nature wants to take its course, there's nothing we can do about. Right. 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 So, exactly. Like, yeah. And that's the thing, right? It's always, always, always about working with people you trust. And that, that's mm-hmm. that's another growth strategy as well. Right. And, and that's can be the difference between yes and no. Yes. It's so true. It's so true. My gosh. So yeah. do you take downtime or are you always on the go? I have found that for the long term, and I am every I'm trying to move everything about how I'm thinking about things to the long term approach. Long term, I am so much better during the week if I actually take the weekends. 
And that is hard for me. They're like, oh my gosh, oh, I just thought about this or whatever, this would be great, blah, blah, And I'm like, no, no, I am not opening my laptop today. Like I'll jot the note down, you know, so I don't forget it. But but taking the weekends, I feel like amplifies my week. Um, it, we have not been on vacation since this whole thing started. So I feel like in any other year, I would say we love to travel. We are definitely a traveling family. Um, and so I know when things get a little bit more normalized, we will be doing that again. But yeah, for now, it feels really healthy to keep the weekends pretty sacred. Makes sense. I've uh, I still got to learn that myself. It's one of those. It's things hard. It's it, hard. It is. It is. I've experienced yeah. burnout before. Yes. Um, yes. Believe it or not, to the point that I actually for 90 days had quit real estate. And I don't wow. mean I did something else. I mean, I just quit cold turkey, did wow. nothing. Right. And um, wow. I didn't attribute it to the, to burnout. I attributed it to an, okay, depression. Mm. I, you know, I wake up and go, I'm sick of this. I don't want to do it anymore. Blah, 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 blah. And, and as, as you saw earlier, I'm quick to act. Boom, 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 done. Yeah. Yeah. 90 days mm -hmm. later, I'm all uh, back refined back into uh, my zone. And I'm like, uh Oh, now what's it going to take to get back? Because now mm. it's not going to be just, I want to come back, sign the papers. Mm. Nope, I had to take mm -hmm. another course. They made me take another course. Oh, Dear wow. God. That was, wow. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I think the thought of having to do it was more stressful than actually doing it. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's one of those yeah. lessons that sometimes, like there's one of the lessons for me where sometimes I realize when I start feeling that overwhelm, I got to step, take two steps back. And process. Yes. yes. Right? So, yep. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's another way of listening to your gut. Yeah. So like, you know, I just, I need to like step back. I need some healthy space to be able to, to perform and be on when I'm on. Absolutely. Right. And that's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I found when I don't listen to my gut, I get burned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Most times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And last time I've been on vacation was 2016. And I was planning on another one, literally a couple months before the uh, pandemic was announced. Oh, wow. wow. I was sitting there going, I got to go somewhere. It's time. Mm -hmm. Where am mm -hmm. I going to go? And I'm looking, I'm looking, getting ready to make a decision. Boom, lockdown. Mm. Whoa. So, and now, obviously, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And even right. with the vaccines rolling out, I think I'm going to give it a year okay. before... You know, just to see the results mm -hmm. and how it happen, turn out. Right, right. So that being said, I don't think the vaccines will be fully out and working till at least the end of this year. So I don't see myself taking a vacation to a minimum of fall of 2022. Mm. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, you can do things like taking that space, giving yourself space, like the mini, mini vacations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like sometimes it's just turning off your phone. Yeah. Who cares? You know, I need, I just, yep. need, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Um, you, yeah, exactly. exactly. You stuff locally. So that's the, that's still a thing. Like yesterday when I said, I went to the, I went to um, the patio. I went with a couple of mm -hmm. work colleagues. We were in the office. I wasn't that worried about it because we're already sitting in the office together. So whatever they're exposed, I'm already exposed as well. Right. So, right. And you know, thankfully knock, knock, no, no, no exposure mm -hmm. to anything right now. I mean, so obviously there's got to be a certain amount of care in this. Yes. But, um, definitely. But yeah, it was really good getting out. And I think everybody needs that. You always have to have that plan. Yeah, yeah it's so true. So true. Now, let me ask you uh, another thing. What, like, Because I'm sure some people listening to this are thinking, okay, 
I've got an idea now. I mean, like Airbnb could be lucrative Mm -hmm. and now I know how to process it. How do I start? What do I do? How do I uh, come up with that down payment? Like, what do, do you have any strategy for someone? Yes. Just getting out of university, just mm-hmm. and says, okay, I'm going to take any job now to get an income, but I want to go beyond that and I want to start my investments, but I don't know where to start. What what suggestions and strategies do you suggest? It's a really good question, and I want all of your listeners to know that wherever they are, there is a way to enter the Airbnb economy. So if someone is just out of college and maybe still has the loans and all of that, they don't have a surplus of cash for a down payment, offering to co-host, reaching out to certain like other hosts and say, hey, if I manage your listing, could I get you know a fee? That I think is one of the best ways to figure out if this is the right type of investment for you, you can see how the sausage is made pretty much. You know, you don't have to find a place. You don't have to furnish it. You don't have to do anything like the listing already exists. You're just putting in your time and effort to be able to make sure like guests book, if they have questions, you know, you're quick to respond, things like that, like cleaning people are scheduled. But I think that's one of the best ways you're kind of earning your way in, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And then- if if you say like, wow, this really is an incredible use of my time. This is what I want to do. There are a couple of different approaches to acquiring a property to put on to Airbnb as well. Um, over and above like co-hosting, right? And I don't know the specific laws in Canada. So I am speaking spe- more specifically my knowledge of the United States. But I see that there are three ways to enter and to, to gain control of a property to have them have it on Airbnb. And one of them, a lot of people do talk about, it's called rental arbitrage. So you sign a rental agreement with a landlord, fully disclosing that you'll be putting it on Airbnb. I would not recommend that's just, that's an unnecessary potential heartache um, to try to go under the radar. <laughs> What's happened? Um, yeah, just don't. But but renting, so you pretty much have to come up with first and last month's rent and then maybe a security deposit. So depending on what the property is, like if it's smaller, that amount would be smaller, whatever. Um, and then another one, which I is very traditional, is buying the property. So if you have the down payment, um, and I, again, I, I can't speak to Canadian lending, but in the United States, it is a like all of the lower down payment options are typically like those types of loans are typically reserved for primary residences, which I, I get it, but it's also frustrating. Um, so a down payment on a property for an investment property here in the States is typically 20 to 25%, but there is a hybrid I always like that there's typically always a third option. If someone gives me just two options, I'm like, eh, what's the <laughs> third? There's always a third. And this is one that I am exploring right now. And it is, at least in the States, called a lease option. So you're like, you're leasing to own or renting to own. Some people use that. So you sign a, a, like a lease for three years but then at the end of that lease, you have the option to buy at a predetermined rate. So you would set the that price when you sign the lease contract. Um, and so, I mean, 
it, what is really cool is you can gain a lot of equity. So if like once the market's kind of, you know, if they skyrocket and you've locked into this lower purchase price, you have the ability to get an insane amount of equity instantly. Um, but you're not required to buy. It's it's an option to buy. And getting into this type of an agreement is typically about 3%. So it's almost like buying but with a lower down payment, if that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. see, that, 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 that we have something similar here. Not okay. a lot of people exercise it, um, especially in this mm -hmm. market, because most people won't want to participate um, mm -hmm. just because they can get money like this. It's, right. Right. So it depends on the yeah. market. But the option, yeah, it's a rent to own. It's um, usually what happens is, let's just say the rental is $1,500 a month just for arbitrary numbers. Mm -hmm. um, what happens is you would agree to do maybe like a five-year lease at $2,200 a month. And so you're overpaying by that $700 and that makes it easier to come up with that down payment. So at the end of the five years, yes. that's probably about 45 grand roughly. Yeah, and, um, it adds up. Yeah, exactly. Now where if you had to pay the $1,500, we always, all the new iPhones, I've got to buy it. Oh, this a new card, let's just go get one, right? Mm -hmm. It makes it easier to save. And if it's like a forced savings so that you can yes. invest in yourself. Yes. Right. So, yeah. And, and, and mm -hmm. that's, that's an avenue exactly what you were saying. I really like that. So, I like that that mindset of it. Yes. Absolutely. Right. And then there's mm -hmm. different ways to do the agreement. You can do it buying it on market value at that time, mm -hmm. um, or you can do it at a predetermined amount, which basically means that if the market goes down, the seller still gets that amount. So it's, yeah. a, it's a risk yeah. that they'll lose appreciation for the seller, and for the buyer, mm -hmm. is a risk that they're going to overpay. So it's an equal right. risk that way. Right. right? So that, that's, then, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. But then at least on, on the investor's side, they don't have to exercise that option at the end. You know, if it, if it doesn't work out or if, or if the numbers are too far off. But the thing is, what I really like about, again, short-term rentals is the consistent cash flow. So if I find a property that is getting booked solid, right, getting great tenants, great cash flow, if I overpay market price by just a little bit, like, uh, like I'm not going to lose, I'm not going to kill a cash cow for like $10,000, you know, I'm just not going to, especially because the loan that. would be over time. Uh, well, that's exactly it. Right. And when you're doing something like that, a lot of people forget this. They don't want to pay over market value or as the term I always hear, I don't want to get ripped off, but mm, it's so mm -hmm. short sighted. It is. Right. It's, it is. Because you're getting the cash flow, like you said. So you're getting rental cash flow. The rent, like the rent you're collecting is not only giving you cash flow, it's paying the mortgage. You're not, other than the down payment, you're not paying from your own pocket. Right. Third thing is that. appreciation. So you're making from cash flow off of something somebody else is paying, plus the property is appreciating. Right? Yep. Like, yep. And, and that's the thing, right? So like, what a what a better way to make money? Like even exactly. if the rent breaks even, the appreciation compensates. Yep. Right. So yeah. and that's the thing, right? So you have to pay attention to the market and the opportunity that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, like, yes. I've had client. Yeah. I've had a client like a few clients, not just one. I've had lots of clients that were so worried about paying over market value that once this bidding st started, they stopped. They're like, I don't want to overpay. We'll come back to it another time. But what I was trying to relay on that is that we'll take an, again, arbitrary example. 
We'll take you're looking at a house that's seven hundred thousand, uh, listed for seven hundred thousand. Market value is eight hundred thousand, and it's going to sell for nine hundred thousand. What somebody doesn't, what they're not understanding is that yes, you're going to pay the nine hundred thousand now, which basically means you're going a hundred grand over what the current value is. But the appreciation over the next five years is going to make that house over a million. Mm -hmm. rental income you can collect on that will pay the difference it's so true you know and and i'm trying to explain that and they're like oh but we'll buy it next year but next year you're going to buy it at 950 yeah Yeah, grand Mm -hmm. more than this year but it'll be market value and you're Mm -hmm. sitting there going really no like that is it's so interesting it's so interesting it's a retail approach like they don't want to like you want to buy a tv on sale you know like you don't want to you know you want to get the best price whereas like an investor perspective is like, if this thing can still cash flow, you know what I mean? It's Absolutely. if this thing is still going to appreciate over time, if this is a good long-term plan. Yeah. So it's like the retail versus investor, completely different mental approaches. Absolutely. And that's what I'm saying. You got to get past that retail approach. You got to get more mm-hmm. into the investment side long-term. I always say real estate is not a short-term investment. Mm-mm. Right, it is a Mm-mm. long-term process, and it is. And I have clients, and no, no discredit to them, that buy it because they want to flip. But mm-hmm. to me, that's like going to Vegas and going, where did the lights yeah. land? There are yeah. times you buy a property and you'll get it, and then all of a sudden you do just a little rentals and you got hundred grand cash flow. There are going to be times you're going to do that, and you're going to lose fifty grand. Yeah, right. It's like yeah. it's a hit and miss. If you can afford to hit and miss, great. It really is. Right. But right. overall, you're better off buying and holding. Yes. Yes. Right? There's, like there's the flip, it's so Sorry, true. Like flipping may be like sexy because there's shows about it and things like that. But yes, yes. I, I think that the long term, um, the consistent revenue, I think that is the real sexy. There's no real TV show about that because how can you put long-term into like 30 minutes or an hour? But that is where real wealth is made. That's where like generational wealth is made, is viewing it from the long-term. Absolutely. And that and that's the whole point. That's what real estate is. Long-term wealth building. Yes. Right? Yeah. We have a thing. Don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. Mm, that's good. I like it. Right? I haven't heard that one. I like it a lot. Yeah, so it's it's incredible, and I I mean like it, again it's long term, right? Like, and prices aren't going to go down, and that's the other thing. Like, there's always the ones that are timing the market and waiting, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to wait for mm-hmm. a crash. I got news for you. In 2018, yeah. we had a small crash. Nobody realizes it because the prices were still high. And I'll give you an example. Prior to 2015, we'll say the housing market here. We'll use the Toronto area. They would have started average house being around four to five hundred, five fifty, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. So then we had this little bit of a boom in 2015, 2016, and just kept going. 2017 was sort of the same state as the market is now, where people are outbidding each other. Then the average price went up to 1.5. Whoa. Right? Yeah. And then they're still going, I'm gonna wait for it to crash, I'm gonna wait for it to crash, I'm gonna wait for it to crash. And then what happens? February 2018, we got that small crash. Hmm. Average price went down to a million and twenty. So going, hmm. I told you it was going to crash, right? Mm-hmm. That's the reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I told you to buy it when it was still five hundred thousand. Would you still be yeah. behind or ahead? 
<laughs> right? <laughs> right. That part was missed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like even with the crash, you've doubled your money. <laughs> right. And now look at it. 2018, it crashed. We're in 2021. And the prices are back to where they were. And in certain areas, there's a place in, in Ontario called Oakville. And mm-hmm. Oakville's average price is actually $100,000 more than where it was. Wow. Right? Wow. So uh, you see what I mean? Because we have a lot yeah. of micro markets in, uh, in mm-hmm. Ontario, right? Which mm-hmm. part of you have the GTA, with, like the downtown Toronto. Then you mm-hmm. have the outskirts. And then you, have, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I guess you, it's the same in the States. We just call them different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and every micro market has its own average. So, but mm-hmm. that's my point though. Like this is the first time in history that the micro market is actually outdoing the city. Mm. Wow. Um, I don't think that'll last. Like I said, once right. we go back to work and everything, the city will ramp up again and they'll mm-hmm. catch up. Right. Cause mm-hmm. this is the first time everybody's leaving the city. Again, it's right. all a small little place, small amount of land or go West or East, get bigger land for the same price. Yep. Yeah. Right. So you don't blame mm-hmm. people, you know, families are built growing, you know, people want more yard space, more, uh, you know, space inside the house. They don't want to be on top of each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, right? But Hey, you know what? That's just the cycle. It's so true. It's so, so true. Yeah. Yep. But I want to be conscious of, with your time. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you said you had a podcast. I do. What's the name of your podcast? It's called up level with Jenny Townsend. Nice, nice. And if people want to reach you or uh, get more information about you, where would they go? Great question. It's over to JennyTownsend.com. That's the best place to figure out to learn more of all of of what's going on in this this Airbnb economy. And then I also, if any of your listeners are interested in taking the next step, like, wow, this economy sounds like a great addition to my income portfolio. I do have a course on how to find, furnish, and fill a short-term rental. And it's called the Six-Figure Vacation Rental Roadmap. So if anyone wants to learn more about that, it's at JennyTownsend.com slash rental. Perfect. That's amazing. Like, I wasn't even aware about the course. That's actually yeah. a good <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it is. It's, it's all of what I wish I would have known. That's how I framed everything. Like, you know, step by step. It's literally a roadmap. Yeah. Awesome. That's very amazing. I mean, good for you. Like, wow. Right. That, that that's just shows how far your mind goes and how you can process things. And, you know, I mean, in a scale, that's just amazing. Good for you. Well, I that's appreciate awesome. that. I just, I want to help as many families as possible get financially independent. So that's, that's why I do it. Makes sense. I want to uh, say thank you very, very much for appearing. And yeah, uh, I'm sure me, we'll do it again in the future. Absolutely. And I look forward to it. Awesome.